Welcome to Crime Talk BK. This is Joanna Perfitch along with Megan doing our Thanksgiving spectacular. Good morning, y'all. And we're actually uh, pre-recording this. We're currently sitting in my very empty apartment. So if the sound quality has suffered... Uh, we don't care. <laughs> yeah, we just, we don't care. We are off with our families like you are with yours. 
I am probably sitting on a beach right now. I am in my mother's living room waiting for the turkey to be done. There's going to be lots of snow everywhere. Mm. Minneapolis? Minneapolis. Probably not a lot of snow, but it will be frigid as fuck. And I'm hoping to be drunk by two in the afternoon. <laughs> Megan, why don't you uh, share your holiday travel secrets with us? Because you have quite the routine. I do have a routine. I've had it for about a decade. I From New York to Minneapolis, it's only about two and a half, three hour flight. So you get up on Thanksgiving morning and no one's at the airport. So you take an 11 a.m. flight to Minneapolis. Your mom picks you up at 1. You have dinner at 7. And you're in bed by midnight. I don't know. Depending on what's happening. I could go out. Could see friends. Um, And then, yeah. And then you don't fly home till Tuesday because Sunday is a disaster. I'm flying home on Sunday. Are you? Yeah. From Houston? From Fort Lauderdale. Oh, Oh, that's right. You're doing Florida. Yeah. Oh, God. It's just old people. I, I know, but it's still, like, one of the biggest travel days of the year. Is and it? people lose their mind at the airport. Well, I always take... So, I am, like, the world's worst flyer. Like, I kid, I kid you not, it is an adventure to fly with me. Yeah? Oh, God, I'm so terrible. And so... Tell me uh, now, in case we have to fly together at some point. <laughs> I will be, like, holding your hand. <laughs> so, actually, I flew with Ash. We were visiting his uh, friend of the show, Ashton Baker. Uh, we were visiting his family in Louisiana. And I don't think he realized how bad I was. Mm-hmm. And at one point, he just, like, sat on top of me and, like, <clears throat> tried to, like lick my face oh. to distract me from turbulence because I needed... Oh, you had bad turbulence? I just bad... No. It was just normal turbulence. It was like we were taking off. But oh. I, like, need, like, a 150-pound security blanket laying on top of me trying to physically distract me. I think me. they make those now, though. <laughs> Weighted blankets. <laughs> I guess I could take one with Probably them, like, weighs more than you Dragging do. it through security. <laughs> And that's, like, on top of, like, the Xanax and I'm popping, like, candy. Oh, oh it's awful. It's okay. I have friends, like, that I've traveled with that are also panicky travelers. It's just, it's not a thing that people are used to. It's okay. Like, I can handle it. Uh, yeah, so maybe we should, we need to get really famous so that we can get someone to take us on a Crime Talk BK cruise. How about private jet? I don't fly. I know, but if it's if it's a PJ, we could totally do it, girl. I'd totally do it with you. <laughs> I'm not doing a cruise. Like cruise ships are just no. No, not you don't get, like cruises. No. Oh, you no. hurt me. The poop ships? No, I'm not doing it. Poop ship? Not doing it. Why is it called a poop norovirus? Is breakout? Oh any no, I am not immune to norovirus because I got it in college. But <laughs> I. <laughs> Okay. Oh, it was so bad. <laughs> the nurse had me under quarantine, and so, uh, like, every few days, I would hear two knocks on the door, and she would leave a package mm. in front of the door of every student, because it was, like, 60 or 70% of the student population got neurovirus within two weeks. Where was this? At St. John's, at my college in New Mexico, because one kid came back from vacation with neurovirus, and my school is, like... 300 people total. Oh, okay. It's I'm like, thinking thousands of people. No, 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 no. Okay. It is like tiny. The dining hall is very small, and there's really only two buildings with classrooms. Yep. And so it's just like ravaged. I survived until like two or three days before people stopped catching it. Mm-hmm. And this girl that I was friends with was sitting across the table from me, and she got sick. And, uh... Oh, ick. Did she cough? Like, she breathed? She... Oh, she Sneezed. threw up. Yee! It's norovirus. And I was a casualty. Oh, a lot of bodily fluids involved. And so the our uh, tutor, because we call them tutors at my school instead of teacher, he like looked at her and he looked at me and he's like, well, you're going to have to go home anyway, Joanna, so can you just like walk her back to her dorm? <gasps> I was the sacrificial lamb. Yeah. So I'm already, like, covered. You know, like, I already at that point had it. Oh, my God. So I walk her back to her dorm. I'm like, it's okay. It happens to everyone. Like, I'm fine. I have a great immune system. Right. Like, no, lupus. no big deal. <laughs> I was very sick. <laughs> so the nurse was giving me, like, you call the nurse's office when you have it. And she'd give you, like, five Gatorades and two boxes of saltines. <laughs> That's what they give you for the flu. Like, and like that's it? That's all you can hold down. 
I know, but that's but like it's the same as the fl- I had the flu <laughs> when we were on hiatus last week. Like that's what I ate when I had the flu. Oh my god! I can't <laughs> do anything better than that. Well, I had a friend Patrick who, God bless him, he called me, and he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna run down the hallway." And then I'm going to put it in front of your door, and then I'm, I'm just going to run back. I'm going to fly by drop. Food drop. And he's like, please wait 30 seconds before you open your door. And I open the door, and Patrick's saying, like, at the end of this, like, very long hallway, he's like, I hope you feel better. And I'm like, thanks, Patrick. Oh, that's sweet of him. But it is, I mean, that's how contagious it is. So, so you're worried about cruise ships. And you've heard all the horror stories about I've cruise ships. I've been on several cruise ships. Oh, no, I'm never, never. Murder bodies, women disappearing, sex trafficking, poop ships. Like, no, never, never. But I really do think I'm invincible because I took a cruise once in high school and I had no friends on this trip. Like, no friends. Uh Lonely, depressed 16-year-old. And uh, everyone else got sick. I didn't because I didn't have any social contact. And it was amazing because I got to take one of the excursions by myself. Okay, well that's... <laughs> like the teacher looked at me and she's like, Joanna, come on, we're going to like check out this island. And it was like a blast. Well, that's fine, but you can't... Like I'm a social bird. Like I'm going to go to the bar. I'm going to... Not that I want to talk to anybody <laughs> necessarily, but I'm still going to use a public restroom and I'm still going to go to the bar and I'm still going to eat in the restaurant. So That's fine. You don't want to have fun on our cruise. I'm not going to be immune. So, no, I'm not going. I'm not going on the cruise. <laughs> well, anyway. All right. So, next Thanksgiving we'll be recording this from the deck of our private mm-hmm. yacht because someone's being picky. Yeah, it's got to be a private yacht. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> so, this week we're going to be doing a food-related crime. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so why don't we just jump in it? Tell me, uh, what you've, what you've prepped for us. Uh, also I should say that we are drinking while recording right now. A delicious, uh, a delicious Malbec, which is one of my favorites, um, which is related to what I want to talk about. I'm doing the, uh, let's see what they call it. The Great Wine Fraud of the early 2000s. Our wine is not fraudulent because I only paid 12 bucks for it. So. They only care about the, the good stuff. They only care about the rare, fine vintages. Yes. All right. What do you got? on me. What do you got? Oh, what do I got? Oh, yeah. right. Uh, so, I have a... Um, so, there's this uh, bakery called Collins Street Bakery mm-hmm. in Corsicana, Texas, which is uh, like southeast of Dallas... I would like not call it within like the greater Dallas area, but I think it's like pseudo within commuter distance if you tried. And uh, so the accountant for this bakery, mm-hmm. let me see, he embezzled $16 million. I can't wait to hear about that. It's crazy. It's a bakery. Like, that's a lot of money to come out of a bakery. Also, okay, so Corsicana, Texas. I'm going to look up the population because you're going to laugh. I kind of think I know where it is because I did have, uh, I recently have an ex-boyfriend. I spent a lot of time in Dallas a few years back in Deep Elm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of think I know where it is. Uh, I think his Western cowboy shirt shore was in Corsicana, Texas. <laughs> I could be wrong. He's a dick, so I don't really care, but whatever. Fair enough. Dicks are like that. Dicks are like that. Ex-boyfriends are like that. Yeah. So it has a population of 23,000. Okay. That's a legit suburb. But it's not even a suburb. It's like its own thing. Like, Corsicana is like one of those towns that has like Main Street. It's on the map as its own thing, right? Is that is that what you're trying to say? Okay, so but it's still really kind of a suburb. Like if you look at the Minneapolis Mm. map, um, you know, there are suburb places that are they're considered suburbs, but they still have their own place on the map. Let me look. I'm feeling weird and Burnsville and Apple Valley. So this is how far away. It's like, see, this is Dallas, this is Corsicana. That looks, in my untrained eye, that looks like it's about an hour. Yeah. So I wouldn't really, it's like, uh, it's like close to Dallas by Texas standards. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Considering. But you would probably be in like Massachusetts from New York if you were just like. You could be in Maine. 
Yeah, so it's like far enough. Um, Maybe like 50 miles or something. Anyway, so this bakery, Con Street Bakery, is like world famous for their fruitcakes, which is like, sure, that's weird. Okay. Um, but we Ugh. would stop there every year on the way to grandma's house for these chocolate chip cookies that are like literally the size of your face. Like that huge. I can get down with. Yeah. Ch- fruit cakes are like doorstops <laughs> where we come, where I come from. Those are like these bri- bricks of dried awful fruit. These are actually pretty okay. Yeah. But, uh, so the accountant embezzled like a ton of money in this town where keeping up with the Joneses, Joneses is the Olympic sport. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Texas Monthly, is probably like Skip Hollingsworth or someone, wrote this like gorgeous article, I long form. live for Texas Monthly, by the way. <laughs> they have so they, much. The reporting out of that periodical is outstanding. It's called Kate, Katie Vine is the person. So okay. uh, their fruitcakes, which I'm showing Megan right now, it's like in a circle and they have pecans around it and it's like this sugary glaze. That doesn't look like a regular fruitcake in my mind. No, it's like crazy town. See, they like took a little yeah, slice. Yeah, it's, big, it's a, in this big round tin. Yeah, but they have these like specialty tins mm-hmm. that are usually like Texas Christmas thieves. They'll have like cowboy boots and a blue bonnet. Yeah. This one has the accountant's face because someone from Texas Monthly... Drew it up. Anyway, I'm going to be talking about fruitcakes. Okay. Do you want me to talk about fake wine? Uh, yes. And then I'm going to bring up a photo of this fruitcake. Okay. So, so at first see. I want to talk about food fraud generally because um, just we explain what it is. Oh, wow. Look at that fruitcake. Yeah. It's like next level. Like, and you can like, they it's come a in collector's minimum tins. of a 12 inch tin. It's about three inches deep. It's covered in pecans and dried Maraschino cherries. Green ones too. Green ones too. You can But it on. it looks like it looks like this could actually be edible and not the doorstop fruitcake. But this we, is what I thought fruitcakes were when I was growing oh, up. Oh no, that is not <laughs> that is not my reference. And you point. eat them, they're so sugary, it's kinda of like brown sugar with dried fruit in it. Yeah, ours are it's the same, but it's also five years old. <laughs> <laughs> they put so much it, they're so dense that it's like a brick. I don't, so you, I don't even know how you eat it. It's do you want one of these? No, I do not. I'll send one no, to you. No, thank you. I'm good. Yeah, you can buy them. You can get like a $50 one. Anyway, so we're getting off topic. Let's talk about one. Okay, so I want to talk about... I just want to give you a description of what food fraud is described by Interpol. Um, it's the deliberate mislabeling of food products for financial gain with the intent of deceiving the consumer regarding what is actually in the package. So, we've seen this with fish, we've seen this with coffee, uh, it is probably no surprise that liquor is the biggest fraud. So, can you tell me a little bit more about like what liquor fraud is as uh, an incredibly light drinker? I honestly think it all tastes like shoe polish. Okay, so, say, uh, the, the biggest alcohol that's actually been defrauded is uh, vodka, and they're out of Europe, is the, you know, the Russians... They basically take, and I've seen this done in, in bars in the United States, where they take a really low-grade uh, either vodka or they to- they toxify it with something else to cut it, and then they put it in these higher-end labels. Okay. Right? So... So it'd be like Everclear and water? Something like that. No, that also happens in 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 Africa, but they're not... They're, in Africa, it's usually more like methanol and other... Um, liquid toxicants to cut it so you're basically killing people on the black market they think that's what it is people on those uh resorts in the dominican Uh republic died yeah well i think there's a serial killer down there but that's another show um so with wine though the thing is it you know like we all know that wine is sort of a it's a weird thing. Like, there's wines for $10, and there are these wonderful old vintage wines that are worth thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. So the fraud there is, is that they empty out the real wine, and then they fill it with our $12 Malbec, and they sell it as the real deal in the old bottle. So we're getting into, like, counterfeit painting level. Yeah. Um, so I watched this 
documentary last night called Sour Grapes, and it outlines this whole story and how this guy actually pulled it off. And one of the reasons he pulled it off is because all of these people back in the mid-90s, you know, during the dot-com boom, had so much fucking money, they didn't know what to do with themselves. And so, like, Hollywood directors and whatever, and one of the Koch brothers, actually, yeah, Bill Koch, who was interviewed in this documentary, uh, got swindled by this guy. Mm He, all right, so let me give you a little background on Rudy himself, right? Rudy Rudy Kurniawan was, um, he's born in Indonesia of Chinese descent, And he's our criminal mastermind. He's our criminal mastermind. He came over on a student visa in 1998-ish. His father gave him, because of all the uh, racial tension in Indonesia, his father gave him an Indonesian name, not his original Chinese name. Um, he, He began buying, like... You know, nice wines, you know, like we're in our 20s, we're like, ooh, let's go get a $50 bottle and celebrate. So he started buying like $50 bottles of Merlot. And, but um, it, in this documentary and everything that I read, apparently he just had like this natural, incredible palette so he could remember what a vintage tasted like or what a year tasted like. like he had this like just really crazy natural ability. So... He's going about his business and he's, he's, you know, he's buying these, these cheap wines and then all of a sudden he starts showing up at these crazy uh, wine auctions in um, California. And mm-hmm. he starts off small. He starts buying like a $10,000 bottle. Like, first of all, a $10,000 bottle of wine. I don't understand why you would do that, I, but okay. Um, so he starts off these auctions and... And... He starts making a... Per- he's building his persona, right? Like, all of these really rich people are now taking notice. And now the local news is following him around as this, like, miracle kid who can taste a vintage and know exactly what it is. It's, like, blind taste testing, whatever. And now he's now known for showing up these auctions and, and buying these, like... 10,000 like cases of like he's buying a million dollars worth of wine at an auction. A million dollars worth of wine, which is like four bottles. Four bottles. So, um, so then with that episode, he starts showing up at auctions in the United States with lots of other lots, meaning like a lot of, not like a, like a, like a case of. Not like a big old mm-hmm. lots of. So he shows up with uh, an auction house with a case of wine and they put it on a lot for $10.6 million. And his case of wine sells because now he's known as like this wine Monster. guy. He's also, he, mind you, he's only like 25. <laughs> what have I been doing with my I life? mean, I totally went down the wrong career path here. So he's, he shows up, his first sell is for $10.6 million. For these really, really rare French wines um, at this auction house called Beep, 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 Acker. La, la, la. Anyway, um, this was in 2006. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, he was selling, it was a case of Burgundy, Burgundy, which is... Uh, so people have described it as like the French Cabernet. It's like, I guess it's mm-hmm. the Cabernet grape. But the thing about Burgundy is, is it's a region, right? It's a region in France, and each vine will end up producing a grape that tastes differently because of the soil underneath that vine that has been sitting there for 150, 200, 300 years. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a thing. Whatever, mm-hmm. it's fine. So. That's in 2006. And then in 2000, like uh, June of 2006, like August, November, Rudy shows up again at the same auction house and he's now, he sells this big old lot of wine for, wait for it, 20, oh, I'm sorry, $24.7 million. 
$24.7 million. There's like starving children you can feed. Does anyone not smell a rat here? Because here's the thing about this. There is a finite number of old vintage bottles from 1943 you know, on was... this planet. Right? But rich people don't see it that way. Rich people are bored and they got a lot of fucking money and they trust Rudy because he's flamboyant and he knows his palate and he knows his wines. Oh, uh, yes. You always trans... Trust the flamboyant, rich 25-year-old. Yeah. That sounds magical. And that sale is the single record holder for the largest sale of wine at an auction house. Okay, so now people started going like, where does Rudy get his wine? His his provenance is even questionable, but we don't know where Rudy comes from. He says he's just like this trust fund baby and whatever, and then he brings his brother and his mom to Christmas dinner, and everybody's like, oh, he's wonderful, oh, he's fine, oh, he's whatever. So so weird. Yeah. So right after that $24.7 million sale, uh, the guy in France who owns the vineyard saw the catalog for that sale and looked at it and was like, hey, we, d- we didn't have a 1942 vintage. And that's what part of the Rudy's sale was, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the, vin- the vineyard owner is come now coming to the United States to figure out, who is counterfeiting his wine? Typo. Oh, no, that's later. Typo, that's a different sale altogether. Okay. So, so in April of 2007, he, Rudy, then sells a couple of magnums of this 1982 Chateau Le Pin at Christie's in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chateau Le Pin 1982 didn't make a magnum. And, but no one at Christie's decided to look it up. Like, that's the thing is no one actually looked up the provenance of any of this. Well, it's also just kind of like <laughs> who counterfeits wine. Well, I guess this guy, but. Well, it's a thing, right? So, in, so in 2008, he then sells several bottles allegedly made by Domaine Ponsac, which is, this is where we're going to get to the. The typo. Yep. Yeah. He um, sells this vintage of uh, no, 1945 through 1971. Ponsat first says we didn't make half these vintages. And then secondly, one of the vintages uh, misspelled the address of the vineyard on the label. Right. Okay. So, Rudy. <laughs> one of Rudy's biggest fans was... Um, before all this shit went down was Bill Koch of the Koch brothers. Mm-hmm. He's also in the documentary. You get to go and see his 47,000 bottle wine uh, cellar of which he says at least 500 of his bottles are fake. Wait, really? Yeah. And because of this kid? Not because of this kid. Half of, he, he thinks that half of his fake bottles are from Rudy. I don't know. I was like, well... Oh, you mean because of this, um, he bought, um, what the hell is his name? He bought these vintage bottles from the 1780s. Is wine still good at that point? It's not, the, it's not about the wine itself. It's, it's like about, um, what the fuck is his name? He, he's, yeah, founding father. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So he buys these It's vintage- like a bottle of wine from Ben Franklin or something. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's this, I even went there. It's the Virginia plantation. Thomas Jefferson? There you go. Thank you. <laughs> um, Say no more. Plantation. You're a, you read my mind. So, so Rudy falsified five bottles of Thomas Jefferson wine from 17, and he was really good until he falsified one where there was no vintage. Like, he just... Like, his, he was so good at it, and then he just got lazy. It's like he didn't do the right research. But then, right, so so Bill Koch sues him, right? And um, it sues him in 2009, alleging that Rudy knowingly sold fake bottles and to him and other collectors, both at auction and private sales, too. Like, there was a lot of private sale going on behind the scenes. Um 
And then Rudy also defaulted on a $10 million loan from the Acker uh, auction house where most of his wines were sold. The Acker auction house that was launched into infamy because of Rudy's sales almost went out of business because they had to take all of the sales back mm-hmm. and give all the money back. Um, let's see. Blah, blah, blah. So... Um, all this is going on. Rudy's desperate for money. He's basically just a con man. But then, okay, so he's arrested in 2012 by the FBI at his home in in his mansion in Arcadia, California. So when they walk into the mansion, though, in, on the first level, it's, it's new bottles of wine and old bottles of wine that weren't really worth anything. So he's, Mm -hmm. he's. But he needs the glass, and he needs the paper, and he needs the wax. He's bought old wax. He's bought old paper. He's So what he's doing now is he's taking the new vintages because of his palate being so crazy and wonderful, and he's mixing a formula to almost identically match the old shit. Yeah. That's actually really interesting because, man, this kid has so much potential. I mean, like... I don't want to spend like $10 million on a bottle of wine from like the 1700s, but I do think it'd be kind of cool to like taste what wine would have been like. Yeah. You know? I mean, I totally agree with you, but the, a, a bottle of wine from the 1700s isn't going to be very good. Like it's just not. It's, I mean, Bill Koch was like, it wasn't about the drinking of the wine. It was the fact that Thomas Jefferson held it in his hand and, and made it on his estate. It's like a piece of, American yeah, history. like, I get that one. I'm like, dude, but... you got weird, like, cheap <laughs> night suits at the, at the doors of your... I don't know, like, Bill Coke is a weird one in his own right. But, but like, when you have that kind of money, when you have the Coke kind of money, and you're basically... And you don't even go to the auction. You just have a guy on the phone. Yeah. And you're like, this is what I want, I'll, no matter what. Like, get me this bottle of wine. Yeah. So, you need some, you need a new hobby. If if you're gonna spend a hundred and fifty thousand dollars on a bottle of wine that you won't even drink, that's almost undrinkable. Yeah. Like what? What are you gonna do with that? You need a new hobby. Anyway, so Rudy gets arrested in 2012 by the FBI. They see that he's making his own shit. Yeah. Right? And in the documentary, sour grapes. There's a couple of big movie directors and producers, and they still didn't believe that Rudy could do it. Like, they were like, no, there's no way. He's just this nice, weird, little nerdy kid from Indonesia. But they couldn't tell you what his family provenance was. They couldn't tell. Like, they bought his wines, and they were convinced that it was real. Like, Rudy sold, like, 90% of his stuff was real. This was just a weird one-off. Like, And then they brought it to have it tested and tasted. Yeah. Turns out almost all of the wines they bought from Rudy were fake. Yeah. And they found this out while filming the documentary. So now they're embarrassed and that's amazing. Humiliated. Um, it's really quite amazing. And then I don't watch this doc now. It's really good. It's really good. Sour grapes. Sour grapes. Um good name. And then what was I gonna say? Oh there's something else. Oh um so Rudy's ordering like pounds of old wax and pounds of paper. He's like, but he's also like scanning in the old labels and reprinting them off. So a forensic vintnerologist, which is what they're called, who now, because auction houses need them, are examining the labels like they would a diamond. They, instead of seeing an ink stroke from like the old way that they would make the that labels. They would write it or print it. Write it it's or like or stamp print it, right? Yeah. Now it's pixelated. Like, so they're seeing these old waxes that look like 1927, but the but the label and the glass are from 1995, right? So nothing's matching. And so what the FBI has estimated is that Rudy's wine brawn, what's still floating out there that we don't know about because people won't admit that they bought it, <laughs> is about $500 million. Oh my God. It's a lot of fucking fake wine. That's so amazing. Isn't that crazy? 
I like don't even fault the kid. I'm like, good job. I mean, he's You're serving... You're like a super taster and you ran with it. He's serving 10 years in federal prison. Uh, you think after that he'll become a sommelier? Uh, well... I mean, I'm sure he's like he, banned. He could, he could have been the world's greatest sommelier ever just by his own palate, right? But, but then the big question is, because this is such a prolific thing in the wine world, he, he couldn't do it by himself. Yeah. If each bottle... And they say this in their doc. If each bottle takes an hour to create, and you've got potentially $500 million worth of wine, fake wine out there, how many hours is that in a year? There's just not that many hours for one person to do it. He had help. And it's speculated that it's his family back in Indonesia. Oh. But watch the documentary for that, because that's a whole other, like, I could deep dive into that. And I don't, I want to give you, like, I want to hear about the bakery. <laughs> Um, that's crazy it's super crazy that makes me so <laughs> delighted like so my dad collects wine and uh, he doesn't collect at that level he thinks wine should be drinkable and fun and in general he never wants to buy something that he would be upset if it got destroyed right uh, <laughs> but like I want to like sh- maybe I'll like buy this doc from on DVD or something for Christmas because he's Still figuring out the streaming service. <laughs> <laughs> it's on Netflix. You can watch it on Netflix. Um, it's, it was a re- That'll be our like Thanksgiving family movie while mm-hmm. we're on the beach. We can... <laughs> yeah, play it. It's really good. It was really... I, it's been on my watch list for a really long time. I just never got around to it. That's really interesting. I'm mm-hmm. glad that you uh, wrote it. I'm glad that you shared that one. Mm-hmm. All right. So do you want to hear about fruitcakes? I want to hear about the... $15 million fruitcake heist. Okay. All right, so... First off, let's talk about Corsicana. Corsicana is a town of... I promise I had this somewhere. You said 20,000? Yeah, I think it's around 20,000 people. It's actually distracting me more having my laptop in front of me because now I'm actually going to try to be accurate as opposed to when I shoot from the hip normally mm-hmm. during the show. Um, Corsicana is, like, one of those just, when you think about, like, a small southern town, you know, like, you have these, like, streets where you have these, like, antique mansions mm-hmm. of, like, the first family to have blocked. And Ooh, it's, either a, it's either a southern, like, mansion <clears throat> with the columns in the front, or is it, like, a Victorian yeah, kind of... It's just... Well, actually, that's a good question. I'm, I'm after this, going to join some sort of, like, Corsicana Antique Homes Facebook group, because yeah. that's what I'm into these days. <laughs> uh, but it's, like, debutantes come from Corsicana. Yeah. And, uh, like, there's, like, a lot of, like, 1800s oil money mm-hmm. in Corsicana. Which is funny because, um, so, uh, like, my family, when we would go on these road trips to Des Moines, Iowa, we would drive through to Corsicana. And, uh, it is fairly unremarkable outside of, like, this, like, weird point in history. Right. Where it was, like, a big deal. You know, kind of like Galveston a little bit in Texas is like that, too. Mm-hmm. Where there was, like, a time where people were fabulously wealthy and then, I don't know, Houston and Dallas and San Antonio and Austin and all the other mega cities. Yeah, yeah drew everybody away. Yeah. Uh, I don't so, know why. Galveston could have been a gorgeous little Mediterranean style. Doesn't matter. Just, Doesn't matter. You don't care about hurricanes? Mm-mm. Not afraid. <laughs> Not afraid. Anyway. Um, yeah, <clears throat> so... Uh, you know, like at Corsicana, and also there's this like lovely Texas Monthly article uh, about kind of this event called Just Desserts by Kitty Vine. And so the reporter is trying to describe the town, and she kind of brings up this like keeping up with the Joneses style where everything is like, oh, well, they got a new car, so I should get a new car, and they shop exclusively at Neiman Marcus, so I'm going to, and, like, very, like, competitive, wealthy people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, we have Sandy Jenkins, who is, like, the town nerd. Okay. 
um, he marries this like gorgeous woman who is like warm, and I always imagine her as blonde with the curls. I'm not sure big, she actually is. Big Texas hair. Yeah, but she is just like gorgeous, and everybody loves her. And then at the party, Sandy is like hanging out at the cheese plate, mm-hmm. like not talking. Anyway, he had aspirations. And actually, this article, uh, they interviewed his family about him. And his dad, I think, says that this obsession with wealth came from his mother. And um, his dad would joke that if Neiman Marcus sold dog shit, she would buy it. Yeah. Yeah. I know a couple people like that. (laughs) I feel like I'm a little bit like that I mean, put a Chanel tag on it and they'll buy anything. Yeah. (laughs) And so he was just very enamored. But then his career was just like, struggle it's like his parents owned a grocery like a little mom and pop grocery store and he went to college but he just wasn't one of those people Mm -hmm. he was not destined for the stars and uh so he was actually like unemployed for a while and Collins street bakery which is this like incredibly famous bakery in texas for fruit cakes sure they bring one as an accountant you know and this like bakery. And wait, wait, he's had he has accountant experience. Yeah, I think he was just like an accountant, bookkeeper. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like it wasn't like oh, like, like let's pick this charity case. It's like okay. he was qualified. Some experience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. All right. So just real brief TLDR about this bakery. Uh, they are known for being delicious, um, and for having great chocolate giant chocolate chip cookies. But their uh fruit cakes, uh are just genuinely, like, delicious. And they're very uh, picky about, like, the dried fruit they use. So they actually bought these farms in Costa Rica to grow their own papaya, their own pineapple, their own coconut for quality control. So they have, like, this, like, weird, like, monopoly on, like, fruitcake. I guess. Ingredients or something. But it's, like, a deal. Like, presidents of the United States have ordered these fruitcakes to give their staff I know it's like a little bit silly. You know what? I don't know. I, I, if my when I if my boss gave me a fucking fruitcake for Christmas, I would I would probably just thump them over the head. They're with good. It. They just taste like rum and dried sugar, like I, dried fruit. Just, just give me the rum. Okay. Just give me the rum. It's fine. You know I'm gonna buy you one of these for Christmas. Oh, please don't. They come in cute collector's tins. My grandma would put cookies in them. I put all my cross stitching goods in them. Okay. There you go. But it's like a big deal that he's working there. And this bakery is like what Corsican is known mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they're bringing in bank. All right. Clearly. So Sandy is, uh, they describe him as sitting at his desk daydreaming about a new Lexus. He's just one of those people. Dream big. I know. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, here's a quote. Someone said that he has zero personality. Um... So I, I'm getting like a, <laughs> I'm getting like this weird office, like the office. Yeah. I'm kind of like a, who's the, who's the, never mind. Keep going. Keep going. Dwight. Dwight. <laughs> a little He's bit. like if Dwight was like more mean spirited yeah. and less endearing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, like. Maybe it's office space. Is that the one where they blow up the building? Or the guy was planning to blow up the building? The office supply guy? Anyway, keep going. Yeah, so this poor guy has like nothing going for him. Um, Except for his desire for the. Like, he was like a watch collector. He was like a 13 year old. He would like beg people for their old like Rolexes or something. And for some reason, they would give it to him. Anyway, I digress. Uh, so he is like in his cubicle as an accountant, like staring longingly like at his boss's new BMW or something, feeling very bad about his like five-year-old Lexus that he had to save up for. Oh, poor baby. And so he is like put in position of being like the accountant. And they do, um, it sounds like they do a lot of like manual bookkeeping and let me just say... What year was this? This is like in the 2000s, early 2000s, late 90s. Yeah, I could see where it's still manual. Also, this is like a very much like a mom and pop shop. I mean, like the fruitcakes are popular and they have like a lot of money, but there is one bakery. 
There's like no factory. Right. You know, like very small in the family. Yeah. I can see though where back then it was still mostly manual. Yeah. Yeah. And so what he would do is he just kind of like buddied up to the boss and just kept on kind of getting promoted, but never really like the top dog. And so he got to a point where people were just like handing him money and telling him like, yeah, do your thing. Like keep up with the books. And again, I'm shooting from the hip a little bit. It's a Radio Free Brooklyn podcast. Read the Texas Monthly article. Yeah, read the Texas Monthly article for the facts. Uh, But he uh, starts, like, embezzling money. Mm -hmm. And he does it, like, once. And he's all, like, kind of scandalized, but it's exciting. And so uh, my understanding of what he does, because it sounds, like, a little bit complicated, is he's kind of do a bait-and-switch. Where they would, um, he would like over order a supply. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he'd write down, like, we're ordering like 500 pecans, 500 pounds of pecans. Uh, but then he'd only put in an order for 300. And then those 200, the money that would have been spent on those extra 200 pecans, he would write a check to himself. Right. And uh, okay, but, uh, so he had like these like questions. Keep yeah. going, keep going, keep going. So he had, like, these two different sets of receipts. One was, like, the actual receipt that was, like, writing it to himself that he kept close to him mm-hmm. that no one saw. So it's, like, the real books. And then he had kind of the cooked books, which is my bakery pun for the day. Cook. Ah! And... Okay, so, so he he did keep two sets of books, so no one actually saw the check to him going out, right? Yeah. Okay. That was my, like, wait a minute. Well, I don't understand. How? I think it's just that they trusted him and people weren't paying attention. That's, I mean, like, you're writing yourself a check for 250 pounds of pecans. Seems like, a, let's just say, in 2000s money, it's like 1500 bucks, right? Yeah, so, so, yeah, what he would do is he would, like, underwrite the check to the pecan grower. Like, under order, underwrite it. And then he would just write a check to himself, being like... $1,500 to whatever this guy's Sandy something. And he would just, like, put it into his bank account. I know, but how do you legit, like, they must have just blindly trusted him, right? Because he, if you, you, how do you legitimize writing yourself a $1,500 check out of the accounts? Like, how do you do that? I am, like, very furiously, like, skimming through here to I figure know, out I'm how I'm pretty exactly... sure that they just were like, Sandy's great. It's fine. I really do think that it was just that no one was looking through or like if he did go uh if he did go through the books with someone it was like he was next to them kind of explaining the purchases. Right. But he was the money guy, he was like the CFO or something and they just he just did Dear his Lord. thing. And so but it was funny though because the town is watching this guy who, like, two years ago or five years ago is, like, in church, like, worried about his car payments. And people are, like, doing bake sales to help him out. And now he's showing up with, like, the new Lexus. He's going to Aspen on vacation, watching it. His wife, apparently, was, like, really into Neiman Marcus, which in the early 2000s, I guess, was more of a thing. Do people go to Neiman Marcus anymore? I don't know. It was it was a thing. It was it was it became like a pinnacle, like right after the dot com in the early eighties. Like it was like this, you know, it was like right up there with Bergdorf's or whatever the fuck it was. Yeah. Um. They bought. They ended up buying like Marshall Fields. They bought Dayton's. They bought whatever. So it's just like it's Marshall Court. My grandma used to shop at Neiman Marcus, and like almost exclusively. I mean, old lady. Yeah, I mean, I get, I get it. But, but I remember she would take me shopping and they would serve us tea. And I'd be like, what is happening? I don't want tea when I'm shopping. <laughs> it was so weird. If I'm going to be spending $900 on a pair of socks, I want a glass of champagne. Thank you. Yeah. So right here at this paragraph, they're, okay, so they're spending <laughs> like uh, $98,000 a month on their credit card, which uh, Sandy would then pay. Oh, that'd be fun. With these Wouldn't that be fun? Checks. I don't even have 98000 worth of things to buy. Girl, we'll get that fucking private yacht. <laughs> God, I guess. Uh-huh. An open bar for everybody with $98,000 a month. Like, um, I was listening to this podcast, and these two women um, had bet that they 
they would try to, they would like in their heads try to spend like $10,000 a day. Mm-hmm. And so they had like a wish list of things they would do to spend the money. And this one woman was just like, you know, I spent about like $3,000 and then I just guess I'd donate the rest of it to a library. Like I don't have enough things I want. No, not every day. No. But this guy, let me see. So he, um, after remodeling their kitchen with a Viking range, cooling and warming drawers, and granite countertops, they started hosting these elaborate dinner parties, opening $100 bottles of counterfeit wine. Ha <laughs> There it is. He has a $10,000 <laughs> bottle wine cellar. Serving steaks and veal chops. They had supper clubs with themes like, it would be like a champagne brunch with the themes, flip-flops and stilettos, Ugh. and uh, dinners... Dang. Burgers and Bordeaux. I'm sorry, I do burgers and Bordeaux now. I mean... Whatever. Uh, okay, dude. Pretentious bullshit. Yeah, but, like, that is also kind of, like, the environment that they were living in. They had um, a wine cellar under the stairs, outfitted with two refrigerators. Uh, he would go to the Corsicana Country Club, like, a few times a week. And he would bring his own bottles from home because the health wines were no longer good enough. You know he has some counterfeit shit in that cellar. <laughs> you know he did. He's the same. He's You know he has some counterfeit shit from Rudy in his cellar. He's wearing like these $600 shirts from Armani and Hermes. I guess if you're doing that, maybe you can spend. He's going like Dallas on these shopping sprees. Is he friends with Bill Koch? I just Might be. Sure. Might be. Okay, so they had a personal shopper at Neiman Marcus who nicknamed the couple... Uh, the Sandy was known as Fruitcake and his wife, Kay Cupcake. That's like the names that the Secret Service gives POTUS and FLOTUS. <laughs> All right. Within, in the year after writing the first fraudulent check, Sandy took, are you ready for this? Okay. 43 private flights at a cost of $500,000. 45 PJ flights? Private jet flights? Yeah. And he, like, does this for a while. I mean, that's, I mean, they're like, that's about $8,000 a flight, right? I mean, yeah. Math is hard. 43 flights? 500,000 divided by 43. No, but I just mean, like, like, are you just flying every weekend to, like, Aspen? I mean, maybe just to beat the traffic in Texas. (laughs) They're just, like, doing, like, loops around uh-huh. the airport. I mean, you the one that told me that people start working at 7 because traffic is so bad. But anyway, um... Oh, he told people that he inherited the money. And everyone's just like, okay. And, uh, uh... And then he, like, is coming up with these, like, weird things. Like, he said that he would, like, flip cars. Here's, like, a photo of him and his wife. Let me see. He looks like a hobbit. Oh, dear. I'm sorry, but he looks a little like Patton Oswalt. He does look like if Patton, Patton well. If Patton was about 15 years older. But yeah, he is just like... They just look like very weird. Texan though. Yeah. She looks like a little Paula Dean with short hair. Yeah, so eventually, um, let me see. The director of e-commerce and call services um, usually spent like a little bit of money. Uh, like She did like promotions for the company. Mm-hmm. And so she's looking at these numbers... Finally. And she's like, I didn't spend uh, $23,000 on stamps. (laughs) She's like, that's weird. That's a lot of stamps. And so she starts kind of going through the paperwork a little bit. And she's like, where did those like 400 boxes of envelopes go? Mm. You know? And like Sandy is like not trying to hide this. He got comfortable and lazy. And he thinks that, no, I think he's just arrogant and it's like no one's looking, no one will ever look. But I think he was like not covering his tracks from the beginning very well. I think that he was really just kind of coasting, assuming that people wouldn't look. That's what I'm saying. It's like, how do you cover a $15 check to yourself for pecans? I know. You, like, he was just counting on the fact that no one would look. It's like, he just had like dollar signs in his eyes and he did it once, he didn't get caught and so he just kind of kept going. Mm Mm-hmm. And the and the number signs got bigger and bigger. Yeah. And more, every time he wrote it, checked himself. It but just it's just bigger. crazy. Like he could have gotten away from it if he hadn't. But anyway. PJs. 
If you didn't take the private jets, maybe you wouldn't have gotten caught. So, let me see. So, the feds get involved. Uh, he and his wife are convicted. Um, his wife? She knew. Yeah, she had to know. I mean, like, give me a break, you know? I don't know. I mean... She knew. I mean, like, nine times out of ten I say yes, but there is often that wife that he's lying to her, too. Saying, I got a raise, I got a promotion, I have an expense mm-hmm. account, I have this and that. She got convicted of money laundering in 2015. Ah. And um, I think that she just had 100 hours of community service and probation. Sandy Jenkins got 120 months in federal prison. And they had to write a formal apology to the bakery. 10 years. And she got community service? Mm Mm-hmm. And um, let me see. That leads me to believe that she probably didn't know the whole time. No, I think I don't think he asked for her permission when she started doing it. She got in trouble for um for money laundering. Yeah, I don't think she knew the whole time. But I mean, anyway, let me see. Uh, so here is how much the uh, feds confiscated from them. Are you ready for this? Ah, uh, yeah, give it to me. All right. So he embezzled sixteen million from the bakery. He purchased thirty-eight vehicles. Jesus um, Christ. Including several Lexus automobiles, a Mercedes-Benz, a Bentley, a Porsche. Uh, let me see. They purchased a new car every time they needed an oil change. Thank you for listening to Crime Talk BK, where we will cover more of the Corsicana bakery scandal next week. <laughs> more wine! More wine! Happy, Happy Thanksgiving! Happy Thanksgiving. Tune in every Saturday, 11 a.m. to noon. And Fridays at 2. All right. Have a wonderful holiday. Top of your profession